0: Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to The New Chemist. We're glad you're listening. Feel free to download this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Here on The New Chemist, we discuss chemistry, which simply put is a science of change, as well as careers, community, research, and COVID-19. We're happy you're tuning in. My guest this morning is Marcella Rohl. Thanks for joining me this morning. It is good to hear from you. Just briefly, I'll inform my audience about you. Marcella Rohl is the owner of Minds Counseling, Consulting and Training, LLC, a telehealth counseling service. Additionally, she is an assistant professor in the mental health counseling department at the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Marcella is a licensed therapist in the state of Georgia and a graduate of the University of West Georgia's Professional Counseling Program. Moreover, Marcella is a doctoral candidate at Walden University, completing her dissertation research on microaggressions and academic strategy development among Black women enrolled in doctoral counselor education programs. Please welcome Marcella. Hello, Marcella. Thanks for joining me today. It is good to have you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So what have been your longstanding interests in the field of science and mental health?
1: Um, I want to say the biggest thing that's drawn me to that area is the connection between mind, body, and soul, and understanding how they all operate together to um present a holistic pro- approach of who we are. It also helps me to understand how to approach healing.
0: Okay, cool. That's very important. So how would you say you maintain a view of the bigger picture in your career and in your life in general, given the different contexts you have to work in that shape your experiences?
1: Right. Um, I think being a counselor, allows me to wear several different hats. And the hats that really allows me to look at the bigger picture is the role of an advocate. So counselors are called to be not only counselors and educators, but also social change agents. And from that perspective, we have to step back from our individual clients and think about the environment that they live in. So what all goes into their makeup um, on that sociocultural level. And that really allows me to keep abreast and aware of what's going on with the bigger picture, what's going on with our world. Even for instance, when we think about 2020, um, we're looking at how COVID has affected our clients. We're looking at how institutional and systemic racism has affected our clients. We're looking at how um, generational cycles of poverty have affected our clients' trauma. So I have to stay aware of that in order to be an effective advocate in the field.
0: So given all of those issues, whether it be COVID or institutional and systemic racism, how do you stay optimistic?
1: Well, um, I think optimism is overrated. (laughs) And I say that because I settle into realism. And even when um, the way I approach therapy is very much a realistic approach, because we are all, well, I believe that we should all adopt a nice balance of, um, what's going on in the world as far as maybe what we would perceive as the negative side, as well as the things that are always the positive side, because then we can balance into what's really happening. And then we don't panic when things like this happen. I think if I were a forever optimist, this would be messing me up right now. All of this that's going on in the world would be messing me up because I've seen it and how it affects my clients. But when I settle into this sort of concept of reality and merging the two and finding Finding a nice balance between the two this it, it is really equipped me with tools to see what's happening in our world and then know how to move and then recognize it doesn't mean that i'm defeated or i'm taken out
0: yeah that's good that's good so within the field considering all your work in mental health how have you been adaptive and or creative in that field
1: um i think for for me, I've really tried to figure out what is the gap. So what's missing in the literature. And even as I was listening to a lot of your other guests, they talk about when they were writing their dissertations or when they were figuring out what field of study they want to go in, they were like, well, what What's some, what are people not talking about? What's missing? What can I add to? And for me, that has been really understanding what it means to be culturally competent in rural America. I think in the grand scheme of things, and when you look at the bigger cities, you look at Chicago and Atlanta, and you look at New York and LA, Everybody has sort of this framework for cultural competence. And in many ways, it means everybody believing and looking almost the same way. Mm. And when, because I've been from this, I lived, lived in the South my entire life, and particularly in the rural areas of the South, what I believe that I'm doing that's unique is really capturing Um, their lived experience, the lived experience of rural people, whether they're white, Black, um, Latin, or Asian, really trying to understand what does it mean to be culturally competent in an area that doesn't get all the resources as the bigger areas. And then what I'm doing is trying to then put that into the form of writing articles, put that into the form of interviewing and listening to the voices, and then incorporating that into how I approach counseling.
0: Wow, that's, that's very good. That's very good. Cultural competence is very important. Mm-hmm. So how have you sought or found the right environment for you to thrive intellectually and scientifically while valuing differences in culture and expertise?
1: Yeah, that's that's been a difficult one. I want to say that's probably been the hardest thing for me to do. Um, because I didn't come into an appreciation of my environment until maybe about three or four years ago. I just feel like I've been sort of fighting against a lot of things forever because, you know, I'm Black, I'm a woman, I'm a Christian, I'm in the South. All of those things to me felt like barriers. And in in the recent years, I've been able to see, you know, no, they are what make me uniquely me. So, the reason or, you know, no, my method for really recognizing that is, really connecting myself with people that have experiences outside of mine Mm -hmm. and also incorporating them into my conversation and not being so closed off into, well, this is all I know. I don't, I don't know anything else. I'm not interested in anything else and really going out there. So going to conferences, reading, um, current literature, uh, writing about things, engaging, having these types of conversations, Mm -hmm. um, That's been really helpful in me recognizing, first of all, there's more than me in the world and I can appreciate all the little aspects of just being me. And then I can use those same steps to show my client how to get to that level of appreciation for him or her as well.
0: Oh, that's very good. And, you know, I, I agree with that in a lot of ways because, you know, even though people may have different perspectives or different views in the world, I think a good conversation or starting a dialogue is a pathway for you being able to work along with that person to see some goal or improve some situation yeah yeah I completely agree with that so you mentioned balance balance between optimism and realism so how do you maintain a balanced life within the scope of complete health given all your responsibilities and accomplishments
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm Well, maybe you can add some tips and tricks to that. (laughs) You know, I really thought I had that thing laid out down packed, because I'm a scheduler, right? So I put everything into my little Google calendar, including my self-care time. I'm like, okay, it's time to take a break. But what happens is life keeps going on, right? Mm -hmm. Things keep getting added to your plate. People keep calling you and asking (sighs) you to do things and you have to adjust. So I maintain balance by making sure I have the tools that I need to adjust to the changing environments, to my changing job roles, to the changes in my family, because it's constantly something happening. And just when I feel like, okay, I have a great plan for balance and self-care, something new happens. So being able to adapt to situations and adjust in different um, environments and in the, in the space of, in the face of change, that has been helpful in helping me to understand and to embrace balance in my life.
0: Okay, so would you say balance is an ongoing journey or ongoing process?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. There's not a, um, You know how, when we think about our Christian walk, we recognize there's like really not an an ultimate end. We're forever going to be, you know, seeking to be more perfect. I think in this, I'm forever growing and understanding what balance means. Balance for me at 25 is not what it is for me now at 38 is so different and being able to evolve in that has been so helpful.
0: Yeah, that's very true. So what have been your most effective and impactful ideas to date in the areas of mental health?
1: Mm, The concept of intentionality.
0: Everything
1: I do when it comes to my clients, and I know they probably get tired of me saying it, but even with my students, it's being intentional. It doesn't matter whether you're going to seek therapy or you're going to go into school or education, whatever you choose to do, make sure you're doing it on purpose, living a life with purpose and on purpose. I believe that in our world today, we can get so caught up in the image of what we should be, uh, the image of where we should have gone, what society says about what we should be choosing and what we should be doing, that then we start to make choices that are based on society and not our intentional purpose. But when we really get in tune with who we are, then we can be intentional about our decisions, intentional about how we have relationships with others, intentional about deciding that we're going to seek counseling or go to school or pursue this profession, and not just something thrust upon us. So I think at the very core of who I am and what I present and what I do is intentionality.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I went to a school um previously, uh, Taylor University, and one of the things they spoke about was intentional community. Mm-hmm. And and for me, I you know, everyone has their own perspective on what it means to be intentional. But for me it was showing, you know, simple actions of care and concern to people yeah. throughout the day. Just letting mm-hmm. people know and they also talk about this idea of the ministry or service of presence. Yes. Just being there for people yeah so yeah that's that's very important and
1: if I could just add this one part and I say this all the time and I think it's kind of hard for some people to grasp is if we just if we just lived our life based on what our internal desires were we would overeat right we would not wake up to go to work we would um do more play and less work but this concept and this push towards intentionality means that you do have to sometimes redirect your brain, redirect your internal desires, and recognize that things being birthed from you internally is not always the best way. Sometimes you have to do it because it is right. You have to do it because it's going to get you on the track. So you have to do it whether you're excited about doing it or not, and that's intentional living. That's living on purpose, and that's living with purpose. That's very
0: good. So um, how have you been so successful as a student in the field? How have you been so successful? You have your own counseling company, (laughs) you're a professor at PCOM. Um,
1: (laughs) Um, You know what? Success is so subjective, right? But I would say that I've gotten to where I am because I wanted to. Okay. Every day I wake up and I'm like, this is what I want to do. And okay. how, you know, how do I get there? That in living a surrendered life, trying to not make sure that I'm not so caught up and stuck on my own, you know, well, I want to do it this way. This is what I want it to look like. And really recognizing that God truly does have a plan for me. And, you know, the Bible, I've, I believe in the Bible where it says, if we, Seek Him with all of our heart, and we give our desires to him, he will truly give us the desires of our heart, and so I wanted to do certain things. I presented it to God, and he's presented back to me a plan that's led to um, such amazing accolades and the ability to work for myself in many areas um so yeah I, that's kind of how I think I got here <laughs>
0: yeah that's good that, that is very good that's very good um so how have you maintained vision and teamwork in your environment? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Teamwork is a, trick, is a trickier one for me. I, I guess when I sit in job interviews, they always say, you know, um, what are your weaknesses? And my weaknesses is probably teamwork because I'm such an independent worker and I like to kind of go into things in leadership role. Um, but I've maintained teamwork when it is true collaboration. Right. So what I've seen in my line of work, and particularly in my area, is that people typically approach teamwork with a leader here and then wanting the rest of your team to fall in line with the thoughts and the ideas of the leader. And that's not teamwork. So really reestablishing for me and setting out in front of me, hey, this is what it means for teamwork. It means that as a leader, I am leading my team, but I am excited about what they have to bring to the table. How can we take all that together and collaborate and produce um, something that works? And that's what I'm seeing happen with my role um, and as an assistant professor at PCOM, really working with that team um, and being engaged in my, and allowing them allowing me to bring my ideas to the forefront, as well as being receptive of their experience, their ideas, their relationship with the community. Um, it's allowed me to learn and grow.
0: Yeah, that's very good. So, you know, the values on the s- small details of learning, growing, teamwork, vision,
1: mm-hmm.
0: would you say that all of those things complement to the success that you yeah. have had?
1: I would say so. Yes, um, I'd say they all work together. Um, and, and, I, and I'm going to just be honest, a lot of those things I'm still learning to appreciate yeah, um, teamwork being one of them. So I think as I'm growing, you know, like we said before, it's such a continuum, um, this process of success or this idea of success, it's on a continuum. So mm-hmm. as I'm going through that and going to the next phases, I'm learning to adapt and appreciate them. Uh, those aspects a lot more.
0: Okay. So uh, why did you choose um, mental health as an area to put your focus on?
1: Yeah. Um, that's, I don't, I don't even know if I know. I kind of, because I was a paralegal. So before okay. I got into this field, I wanted to be a lawyer. And so I was, I was like, let me go and you know, out here and work in Atlanta as a paralegal. And then, you know, have that experience and go into law school and I think I was sitting on the phone with the client and I would find that while I'm supposed to be like maybe doing some um filing some documents and I did I worked in collections um, of the legal areas so we did a lot of foreclosures so there was a lot of spaces where I had to take things from them and I would find that I'm sitting here um kind of helping them with their life plan and and leading them back to um, sort of a balance in their life. And I wasn't necessarily doing my job, but I was doing a job that I was eventually going to be doing. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that was a push to that. And I ended up starting graduate school while a paralegal. But also, I'm going to be honest, my experiences with my school counselors in grade school was Mm -hmm. really not it wasn't effective. And I really would have appreciated seeing a woman of color being okay. able to support me. And so really adding that element to the world of counseling was another um, drive in why I chose this field. Yeah,
0: representation is important, especially in areas mm-hmm. where, uh, where, especially in areas such as schools and universities and stuff like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So why did you choose counselor education and supervision as a field to do your doctoral studies in?
1: Yeah. So um, when you finish with your master's degree in counseling, you can do several things. Um, You can get um, an EDD, And that's going to be more, or you can get a PsyD, so a a doctorate in psychology, and that's sort of more the practical area. You can get an EdD where you focus more on um, education, and then you can go after a PhD when you're focusing more on research. And I wanted to be able to add research to my belt, but I also wanted to be able to teach on the collegiate level. And so, in the counseling world, counselor education and supervision is That's the option for that. So that was the reason why I did that was because I really wanted to do a path of research as well as get myself prepared to teach on the collegiate level. And I want to say that this has been one of the greatest experiences of my life, Um, really broadened my perspective of what it means to be um, in academia, what it means to be an educator, and even has made me a better counselor uh, just by research is uh i tell you i think it's so, so many people are so afraid of it but what it really does is it challenges your basic concepts of life and it really has challenges how i view counseling how i view cultural awareness um, and i think overall it's made me a better person
0: oh yeah i do agree research does play a large role even even in my daily experiences and of course it will play a large role in graduate school. It will. <laughs> here, here. Yes, it, will. <laughs> it will play a large role in graduate school. <laughs> so, um, do you have any advice to those wanting to pursue the field you are currently studying in and working in?
1: Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, what I wish someone had told me, I think, going into it is one, um, make sure this is really what you want to do. It's so funny. I think one of your last guests said this and I was sitting there like, yes, you have to make sure because this is a five-year journey, just the doc part of it, just the doctoral part of it. Um, And you have to be committed because at the end of this, you want somebody to call you an expert. So yes, one, making sure this is really what you want to do. Two, recognizing that if you don't, it's not going to make you less of a person. There are still avenues to get to teaching. There are still avenues to get to professional development without that. So realizing that you don't just want to choose this for the letters Mm -hmm. you really need to, because, Oh my goodness, David, you would be surprised how many people just think this is going to be, I'm going to get my letters and I'm good. No, like this, you got to really want to do this Mm -hmm. uh, because you're giving up so many aspects of your life. And then, plan accordingly communicate with your support system make sure you have a support system and let them know hey these are the things i'm going to need for you from you as i go on this journey this is what's going to be happening to me uh make sure you have your plan for self-care um and then read the material Mm -hmm. oh my goodness i cannot stress enough how important it is i know it's a lot of reading but read it Read it, because when you write, your professors can tell if you know what you're talking about. That's true. Just read the material so that you can present um, a well-balanced thought process of how you came to what you came to. And this is my last thing. Don't be offended with the criticism. Be willing and ready to take constructive feedback, because... You just have to make, recognize you don't know what you're doing when you get into this journey. You don't. And your professors have already done this. They know how to write better than you. They know how to research better than you. Take that feedback and not as a personal attack, but as a place to grow. Um, And that was probably the hardest for me. It took me a year to really lay aside my ego and embrace the journey.
0: Yeah, that's very important. I I completely agree with the point you said that you have to be willing to take constructive criticism because even if you think of an analogy an analogy would be like like i grew up in the bahamas so mm-hmm. agriculture played a large role and one of the things that was re- required order for you to have a productive garden or field you had mm-hmm. to break up the ground you had to basically rip it apart mm. yeah oh <laughs> yeah so you that's to break up-
1: apt that's an apt analogy
0: yeah so in order for you to be productive, sometimes it requires a little bit of const- a little bit of breaking up, yes. a little bit of deconstruction in order for reconstruction to, or harvest or benefit to come well. Yeah. So, so um, what are some of the most beneficial advice you have received?
1: Oh my goodness. OK, I'm going to tell you what someone told me a few years ago because i am a person that likes to go into a room and almost like when i am working see the change and somebody said to me years ago you may not even be the person to plant the seed you may just be the person to prepare the ground which means you may not see the change that comes as a result of the work you do but don't stop doing the work yeah Um, And that, it's been a hard lesson for me to learn. I have to remind myself daily because I put my heart and soul into everything that I do. And so I want to see my clients grow in the moment. You know, I want to see my students grow in the moment. But sometimes my only role is to prepare the ground for the next person that's going to plant the seed, for the next person that's going to water it. And, And so I may not see that change, but still show up and do the work so yeah. that's what I try to do yeah
0: that's very important showing up and just doing your job
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah so um I'm sure you're familiar with this um especially in the area of mental health and I think this is uh, a circumstance that's almost global or probably is global why do you think there's so much of a stigma with mental health why do you think that stigma occurs or is mm-hmm. present in issues of mental health or discussions of mental health it's almost people are almost hesitant to discuss it
1: Mm -hmm. why do
0: you think that's the case
1: well if we go back to um the history of mental health particularly and i'm gonna i'm gonna say this particularly with people of color and women um psychologists and even early counselors use the the space of mental health to apply labels. So that's where you see a lot of your diagnostics. So women, particularly, there are so many stories about women who would have what we called what we diagnosed then as hysteria. Mm -hmm. And then so they would go in and do these lobotomies and call themselves fixing them because as opposed to sort of getting to know the cultural experience of a woman or in some situations, the cultural experience of people of color, we um, put a label on them, we medicated them, and then we often put them, we institutionalize them. And so because counseling and mental health therapy and, in general, still has such a rich history steeped in um, unethical ways of diagnosing and counseling people. People still view it like that initially. So that's still that's still on the part of the helping profession professionals like myself to remind you, hey, we're not doing it like that anymore. Um, you can go to some counseling spaces, and they don't even diagnose. As a matter of fact, with Clear Minds, I don't diagnose for those very reasons. I will. Um, I will um, recommend somebody for you if you need it, but I really try to make it a safe place of talking. So that's one. Two, I think people really are l- lack knowledge in what it actually means to seek therapy. So mental health counseling, which is very different from um, some of psychologies and some psychiatries, is based on the wellness model, meaning that we encourage clients to come to us without a problem. So you don't have to be broken to seek it. But when you think about psychiatry or you think about psychology, if you just think about going to the doctor, you don't show up there until something's wrong. So then there's this stigma attached to it that something has to be wrong with you to be seeking counseling. But wow. if peop- if we put the education out there and, re- and let people know, hey, we operate from the wellness model. We operate like a dentist you go to the dentist to keep your gums from bleeding. If you go to the dentist when your gums have already started bleeding, it's too late in many cases, and they have to be a bit more intrusive. So I encourage clients come to me before you're bleeding, right? Come to me just to maintain health, just to maintain safety. So it's, it's a lot, it's going to be a lot in really starting to teach and, um, re-educate people on what it means and until we can do that as a whole that stigma is really going to remain so just it's that's wow. a part of the professionals to really reshape and reframe what it means to seek therapy
0: do you think that's a cultural specific thing that narrative in which you have uh, stigmas attached to mental health or do you think it's a global thing
1: I do think it's a global thing. Um, Yeah, I think culturally we have our own uh, fears, but I think globally the stigma still remains. Uh, When I uh, attend conferences nationally and I have international speakers in there, they're still talking about how we're trying to fight the stigma. And I think in many ways the United States is moving beyond it quicker than many other countries. There are still so many other countries that um, ostracize people for seeking. Counseling and then don't get down to the religion uh, parts and al- aspects of it. Um, it's almost like either you seek counseling or you seek God because you can't do both. So really helping us to understand that they work in conj in conjunction. Um, this is a global issue that we're working with here.
0: Okay, wow, that's good. So um, you know, I was listening to a talk by several acad- academics, um, mm-hmm. and they were discussing you know different. Uh, small details or granularities if you will of certain conditions and I think it was economics Mm -hmm. Um, however I think that term can be applied in the context of success in mental health what would you say are the small details because it's not the huge huge big features but the small little small little day-to-day changes or day-to-day practices that complement to having success in mental health what would you say are those
1: things Um, Okay, so do you want me to say what has it been for me or what do you think it is in general? In general. Okay. So in general, uh, I think some of those small things um, are um, authenticity As a counselor, making sure, because a lot of people, and I don't even know if you've noticed this, David, a lot of people struggle with getting to know who they are first. And as counselors, if we don't know who we are first, meaning our biases, our strengths, our weaknesses, and then we present an authentic um, person to our clients, we could potentially be destructive because what's going to happen is their experience is going to start projecting on us. um, And then we are going to be operating in a space of healing at the same time as our client. So being very self-aware or self-actualized self-actual, as one of our theorists, Carl Rogers would say, and really understanding who you are, that's one, two, um, professional development. A lot of people get into these roles, um, very similar to sometimes educators, and they're like, okay, I'm already in the role. I don't have to do anything else. So we don't read any additional literature. We don't grow. We're not staying current with the times. And that stunts our growth and stunts our ability to offer our client what's relevant for him or her. And then um, lastly, I would say um, adhering to the ethical codes. If nothing else takes out a a counselor quicker than not adhering to ethical codes and not even understanding what our ethical codes mean. So those are sort of like the bits and pieces, larger than just going to school, right? Larger than just getting a license. You then have to be practical about how you're presenting yourself um, as a counselor across from your client.
0: Oh, that's very good. Thank you so much, Marcela, for joining me today. It was good to have you on.
1: Thank you, Dave.
0: Thank you.